0: My name's Jason. Uh, my wife and I have been going to Rolling Hills with our two daughters for about six years. So I did uh, struggle for a long time with alcoholism. I think it had to do with never really feeling wanted. I know my parents had me before they were quote unquote ready to have kids. So, uh, and then my sister came along about eight years later and they were ready for her. So there was always sort of that, that tension there And I think there was always, uh, like we talk about here at Rolling Hills, sort of that god sized hole inside. And I looked for a long time for something to fill that with. And by the time I was in my early 20s, it became alcohol. So the turning point was uh, July 2nd, 2010. And I found myself outside of uh, Daytona International Speedway in Florida in, in basically a forest. And I was so drunk I couldn't walk and I literally, fell into into a ditch in the middle of nowhere at that moment i was literally at the bottom and and i prayed i prayed that that jesus would come and that he would would heal me and what happened next is is the part that i think people you know that are affiliated with aa or other programs really hate and that is essentially that i was healed just in, in the blink of an eye i, I don't know that repentance was the heart change that I now understand it to be. So I think repentance is a lot more than what I did was wrong and I am sorry. I think repentance is what I did was wrong, I'm sorry, this is what I'm going to be doing differently. Through that process, there is a change that occurs and I think it's at a heart level and we become different, much like David did. Well, good morning, church. Good morning.
1: Welcome back to our series. We've been in this great series called I Am David, and we're finding our story in the story of this guy who lived 3,000 years ago, and yet he's a guy that his name is mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. Jesus is even referred to as the son of David, and we're seeing our story there, and I so appreciate Jason being so real and open and vulnerable to share the struggles that he went through in his life. And yet seeing God's healing and God's grace and God's redemption and and Jason, man, he loves the Lord and is so involved here at church and just seeing that transformation that can happen in your life and in your family and your marriage. And that's what we're gonna see with David uh, David, we said, if you haven't been here this summer, if you've missed some weeks, we said that he was chosen by God at 15, 16, 17 years old. God sent the prophet Samuel to, to anoint the next king of Israel. And, and the prophet comes to David's house and David's dad, Jesse, like brings out his sons who look like kings. They were tall and strong and jacked, you know. And He didn't even invite David. David's the youngest and he stays out there with the sheep. And Samuel's like, well, it's not one of these guys. And God says... Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Hey, go get that guy out there. And they bring David in, and Samuel says, you're the next king. Now, there's already a king in place, Saul, but, but listen, God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. You are chosen. And what I hope and pray you've heard in this series is this: that God chose you. That God has called you, that God has put you at this place in history, that you were born here, that you're in the family you're in, you're in the place you're in for a reason and for a purpose. And David got that even from a young age. He just worshiped God and he held on to God. And then David faced a giant, Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. But David said, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And boom, Goliath fell. The great crash, and David won the victory. It wasn't David, he was the Lord, and he gave God all the glory. He stayed walking with the Lord, stayed true to the Lord. And even when Saul was the king and Saul was persecuting David because he knew that God had called David, but but David honored those above him. He just waited patiently. And then when Saul died, David became the official king. At the age of 30, David becomes king over all of Israel and he moves the capital from Hebron to to Jerusalem. He makes that the, the capital city of all Israel. He unites the entire Country. He brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He worships God. He is so passionate about God. And he's like, Yeah, look what God has done. I was a little shepherd boy, and God has put me here. Unbelievable. And then last week, it all changed. It all changed. It says in the times when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. He's got this nice palace. He's kicking back. He gets comfortable. He gets lazy spiritually. He stops walking with the Lord, and one night he's out on the roof of the palace, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And instead of turning away and go, whoop, shouldn't have seen that. You know, I need to get back in to my wife. You know, I got to go back over here. He stops, and he stares. And then he sends a messenger and says, hey, go find out who she is. And the servant comes back and goes, that's Bathsheba, the wife David, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he's like, I don't care, go get her and bring her to me. One night, Stan sends her home, thinks he got away with it, yeah, it was fun, it was great. And then the word comes back, David, I'm pregnant. And right here at this moment, David has a chance, I gotta stop, I gotta confess, this is wrong, this is not pleasing to God, you know. And yet, David just thinks, how can I cover this up? How can I get away with this? So he calls her husband in from the front lines, who's out fighting for him, and says, hey, Uriah, come in, you know, go sleep with your wife. You've been doing a great job. You're soldier of the month. Way to go, you won the award. Go home and be with your wife, you know. Uriah comes in and says, what? And he's like, yeah, go on, go on home. I'm gonna send some gifts to you. And Uriah's like, I can't do that. And he sleeps on the porch, He says, I I can't sleep with my wife when all these men are out there fighting and serving you, David. I wouldn't do that. I I can't do that. The integrity and the character right in David's face. And again, David could have stopped this nonsense, but he didn't. And he writes this death warrant and he gives it to Uriah and says, hey, Uriah, take it and give it to your commander, Joab. And it says, put Uriah on the front lines and then pull everybody back so that Uriah is killed. And sure enough, where the battle's the fiercest. They put Uriah, they pull everybody back, and Uriah dies, and so do many of the other guys. And they send word back, and David's like, ah, well, the sword devours, whoever devours. Hey, you know what? Poor Bathsheba, this widow woman over here who's pregnant, let me take you to be my wife. Let me bring you in to the palace. I will take care of you. And oh, 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 look at who I am. I'm the hero. And so smug and so arrogant. And David's sitting there on the throne. But you know what? That messenger knows about it. Joab knows about it. And we left off last week with it saying this last words, and the thing David had done displeased the Lord. God knew. And David, thinking that he got away with it, thinking he's the hero, not saying anything to anybody, sitting there all smug and arrogant. <laughs> but God knows our heart. And God knows what's going on inside of us. And God loves us too much to leave us that way. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, Old Testament. Turn back toward the front of your Bible. First five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible all talk about God's plan to redeem mankind. And then we see God sending this group of people into the promised land and Joshua, Judges, these are the people who ruled over. And then you've got Ruth, this little book about how God's drawn us to himself. And then first and second Samuel talking about the kings, King Saul and King David. And we're in second twelve. Samuel chapter 12, second Samuel chapter 12. And it picks up here in verse 1, and it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan is this prophet, right? This prophet, this man of God, and God prompts his heart and says, Nathan, you go and confront David. And Nathan comes in, and you can picture this scene, right? The great hall, David's sitting up on his throne. It's been nine months. He thinks he's gotten away with it. He thinks nobody knows. And there are his guards, his soldiers. He's got all these people there. And Nathan comes walking in. And Nathan says, when he came to him, he said, there were two men, David, in a certain town, one rich and the other poor, And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It sheared his food and drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him, this one little ewe lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man, David. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. God's going, look what I've done for you, David. All of this, you didn't make it happen. You were a shepherd boy. And if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Verse 13, underline this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned, I've blown it. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin you are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And I have to tell you, Nathan is one of the bravest people in all the Bible, walking into the temple court when God prompted his heart and saying, hey, go convict the king. Go tell the king where he was wrong. Go tell the king where he messed up. And Nathan's taken his life in his own hands, but man, God had a calling on him. And maybe this morning, man, you kind of are right there with Nathan. You go, There's somebody in my life. And God's been putting them on my heart, and I need to go talk to them. And their life is off the rails or making bad decisions, and and I need to go and speak. God's put that there. But this morning, I don't want us to just identify with Nathan. I pray this morning we can understand I am David. (laughs) And we can say, God, search me. God, look at my heart. What are the things that I've done that have displeased you? God, speak to me today. If you're taking notes, here's some things I really want you to write down. It's this, God will bring conviction for sin. God will bring conviction for sin. Did you notice this, that God sent Nathan to David? David didn't ask for Nathan to come. David was sitting there, he was arrogant, but you know inside, he's dying. You know inside, this is eating him alive. But he didn't call out and say, hey, hey, you know what? I'm gonna confess, somebody come to me. God sent Nathan to David. God will use his people, his word, and his Holy Spirit to convict us. God will come to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our total depravity. While we were still sinners, the Bible says Jesus died for us. God will send people to us. He will use his people. And maybe in your life, it's your parents. (laughs) Or maybe in your life, you you just have a godly mentor. Man, they're there and they just say, hey, what's going on in your life? What are you doing? Maybe you've got some good guy friends or girlfriends. When you start to get off track, they're there. Man, praise God for those people. Maybe you've got a pastor, you've got somebody, a community leader who's willing to speak up and say, hey, listen, you're getting off track. Something's going on. We need these people. God will also use his word. He'll use his word to convict us. That's why I think so a lot of people, they don't want to spend time with God. They don't want to sit down and read the Bible because they go, when I start to read it, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And so I'm just going to kind of stay away. But, but if we are open and saying, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to be conformed to the image of your son. God, speak. God will speak. He will. And God will use his Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit, Right? He's the still a small voice inside of your heart. And when you start to go off this direction, he's the Holy Spirit who speaks and says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? David, what are you doing? Stop, red flag, red flag, red flag. Stop. And praise God for that. See, God loves you just the way you are. And we talk about God's love all the time. Praise God for his love. He is a God of love. He is a God of grace and is a God of mercy. But he also loves you too much to leave you that way (laughs) and God's goal for you is to look more and more like Jesus and when you start to go off the rails God's gonna come and God's gonna speak and we need those people in our lives right and you may be thinking back to you had a coach who who they encouraged you and they were there but man they challenged you too and you got better right you had a teacher man they saw the best of you but they also challenged you to be your best And by God's grace, he'll speak to us. Are we gonna be open? Are we gonna listen? See, here's the next thing. When conviction comes, you must decide how you're gonna respond. When conviction comes, you must decide how are you gonna respond. You know, David is the king. David is the king, and he could have hardened his heart to God. He could have said, guard's take this madman away, get him out of here, get him out of here, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. Wow, that's a crazy story, you know? I, yeah. He could have done that. You go back and study the kings of England, you go back and study the queens, right? Anytime there was conviction, it was like, hey, let's change that law then. Hey, you know, I'm gonna bring some false witnesses against that person, and hey, I'm gonna, you know, kind of change the things that are happening here. <laughs> when conviction comes, confess immediately. When conviction comes, guys, this is a part of spiritual maturity right here. You know, before you are just kind of growing in the Lord, a conviction would come, you, you would try to rationalize it, right? You're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's just a little lie. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's a, a little jealousy, you know, but I didn't kill anybody, right? You know, we always go to the lowest common denominator, don't we? You know, I didn't kill anybody, right? I do you know, I'm a mass murderer. You know, we we kind of go that direction. And we try to justify it. We go, "Oh well, you know what? I had to. You know, it really was. I mean, I know I shouldn't have said those things, but but it was my wife. You know, it was my husband. They made me do it because you know, I mean, they guys got me mad. It was their fault, really. It was their fault. You know, I mean, we we do that all the time. And what if we got to the point where we go, you know, I'm gonna stop blaming everybody else. I'm gonna stop justifying. it." It was me. It was my heart. God, I'm sorry. I gotta stop this. God, I don't want this in my house. I don't want this in my heart. I don't want this in our home. God, I want, stop right now. It's me. And I'm just going to confess. See, sin robs us of our joy in life. And I think David was just rotting away right here. I think he's sitting on the throne, but man, you know, he's lost the joy. He's lost the passion. He's lost the worship. But confession frees us. Isn't that true? And maybe you can think back in your life when there was a time and there was a sin (laughs) and finally when you just got it off your chest and you're like, listen, 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 I gotta get this out there. He was like, whoa, restores you. It brings you up. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to live a defeated life. He doesn't want us to live down. He wants us to live as he wants us to live. Now he knows we're not perfect. None of us are. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna mess up. But what are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? David wrote Psalm 51 as his confession to God. And I'd love for you to turn there today, you guys. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. It's a collection of 150 different Psalms. David wrote 73 of them. So if you kind of open in the middle of the Bible, go to Psalm 51. Because here's what is so amazing. We have like an insight into David's heart. We have an insight into what's going on in David's mind. Because of the Psalms. I mean, this is like reading his journal, And if you go to Psalm 51, there's kind of a heading, and it says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. I mean, we have exactly what David was thinking. This summer, we've been reading a daily step through the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 70 right now. But but Psalm 51, here's what David was thinking. And he comes and he confesses, verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And God, have mercy because you're a loving God. And God, I'm gonna rest in that fact. (laughs) That your mercies are new every morning. I'm gonna hold on to you, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I think for these last nine months, it's always been before him. Whenever he saw Bathsheba, whenever he heard the cry of a bay, whenever anything, he just had those transgressions before him. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, is it only against God that he sinned? No, I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the people of his country. I mean, he led a lot of people down here, but he recognized that if this relationship isn't right, if I don't get right here, man, I'm gonna have dysfunction all around me against you and you only have I sinned, God. I gotta get that first. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David's like, I'm tired of feeling this guilt and this shame. It's a weight on me. God, restore to me that joy. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Oh God, I need you. And David, man, he just confessed it. Here it is. I'm pouring it out. I'm gonna stop putting on an act. I'm gonna stop pretending. I'm gonna be real, God, with you. I'm gonna be honest with you. There's a the third thing conviction is more than saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> there must be repentance. Conviction is more than saying, I'm sorry. You know, as a pastor, there's people who come often and they'll come in office and they'll say, man, this has been carrying this weight or this guilt and they'll start to confess. And whether they've had this issue with gambling or alcoholism or an affair and you can hear people talk about it and immediately I'll say this, are you sorry you got caught? <laughs> are you really here to repent? And sometimes people are honest. They'll go, Honestly, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry my wife found out. Because I'm still obsessed with pornography. Or I've still got this gambling thing, and man, I would go do it right now if nobody knew. Even though it's destroying, my marriage is destroying, my family is destroying, the people around me. At some point, you gotta go, hey, it's more than just saying, I'm sorry. There comes a time to repent. There comes a time to turn away. David sinned greatly, and yet he did not sin repeatedly. We don't have a record of David doing this again. We don't have a record of David going, hey, get rid of Nathan, and I'm gonna go and do whatever I want. David humbled himself and came back to God. God, I'm turning back to you. Sometimes people are simply sorry they got caught, but not truly repentant. And as you look back over your life, Do you say, God, I wanna be the man or the woman you created me to be? I wanna live my life for your name and for your glory, God. God, I wanna be wholly committed to you. I know I'm gonna mess up. I know I'm gonna make mistakes. And God, I pray you would convict me (laughs) when I do because I want you. See, repentance means to turn from sin. And that's the power of repentance. You know, you're, you're going one way and you're living for the world, you're living for yourself and you're, you're making bad decisions and it's the power to turn back and come to God and be fully redeemed and fully restored. David longs for a deep and steadfast relationship with God. This is what separated David. This is why 3,000 years later, because David had this heart for God, even in the midst of this confession. If you go back to Psalm 51, look at verse 10, underline that, I mean, unbelievable. He just says, created me, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Could you pray that today? God created me a pure heart. Created me a pure heart. A pure love for you, a pure love for those around me. You just created me a pure heart. Do not cast me from your presence or, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, David goes, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David goes, you know what, I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna share it. I'm so thankful that Jason shared his story. You can go to the men's leadership network podcast and hear more of Jason's story. But maybe he's like, I want people to know. I don't want people to go this direction in their life. It almost cost me my marriage. It almost cost me being a dad. It cost me everything. I want people to know. And David's like, hey, I'm gonna tell people. God, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, oh God. You who are God my savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. I'm not just going to go through the motions. I'm not just going to show up at church or worship at the temple and just kind of go through the motions. God, my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. (laughs) You, God, will not despise. God wants our heart. God wants us to love Him wholly and completely. God wants us to follow him. Now we're not gonna be perfect. We're gonna make mistakes, but man, are we pursuing God? Are we pursuing him? Now notice this. Even with repentance, there are still consequences for sin. Even with repentance, there are still consequences for sin. The decisions that we make, even though David confessed, he still had to face the consequences of his sin. And like Nathan said, man, this happened. The sword never left his home. I mean, from this point on, Absalom, his son, rebels against him, murders his own brother. I mean, there's calamity in their house. There's consequences that come with our sin. And some of you know that. You're still living with those consequences. We all are, and too often we'd rather avoid the consequences than experience the forgiveness. Too often we'd be like, God, just take away the consequences instead of going, you know what, God? I want you more than even the consequences going away. God, you're enough. And I'm gonna hold on to you. And God, I know I made some bad decisions and I know I made some mistakes. And God, I know I need to go back and I need to confess not only to you but to others. I know I need to go back and make some things right. And I can't do it alone. But God, you are with me. And God, together we're going back. Together we're gonna to make things right. So are you sowing in your life the things of God or are you just sowing the things of the world? The Bible talks about take captive every thought. Take captive every desire. And we start to say, is it the things of God that I'm taking captive in my heart, and my mind, or is it the things of this world? When David didn't get here overnight, you know? I think there was a lot of times that David knew that she was out there bathing and David would lay in bed and let those thoughts ramble around in his head until finally he acted on it. And we have to come to the point to go, you know what, I gotta take captive the things of God. I wanna be diving in the word. I wanna be in community group. I wanna be around other people who are gonna hold me accountable. I need godly men in my life. I need godly women in my life. I need people who are gonna speak truth to me. I want those things in my head and in my heart and in my home. I want the things of God. I want the things of God. So today, would you receive God's forgiveness and live in his grace? Receive God's forgiveness and live in his grace David received God's forgiveness and lived the rest of his life for God. He did. I mean, you talk about a turn. He turned. (laughs) And man, he pursued God. He said, for the rest of my life, I want to be God to be honored in my life and in my home and in our country, in our nation. He just was passionate about the Lord. He wasn't perfect, still made mistakes, but he lived for God. God promises to forgive us when we confess our sins to him. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter one, verse nine, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, if, notice that, we confess. And sometimes we don't wanna confess, we just wanna cover it up. But man, if we confess, he is faithful to forgive our sins. And after God forgives us, guys, then we need to forgive ourselves. And I think that's where a lot of people are they come and they give it to God, but then they still carry that burden They still carry that guilt and still carry that shame. And you're like, you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. Live like that, because that's the power of repentance. The power of repentance means that we can live in the grace and the freedom of Christ. The sin no longer has dominion over us. That there is a God who is greater that there is a Savior who went to the cross to pay the price for our sins, to make us new, to make us whole, and to make us clean. That's Jesus, and that's grace, and that's his love. You know, when you move into the New Testament, and Jesus was teaching one day, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were always trying to trap Jesus, and always trying to capture Jesus, and say, you're not the Messiah, And one day, they, in John chapter eight, they went and they got a woman and they caught her in the act of adultery. Okay, there can't be any more vulnerable place for a person in the entire world than being caught in the act of adultery. And it was a setup against her. They were just using her as a prop. It was sad. And they go and they take her out of this and you can imagine her fear you can imagine the, the shame and she's grabbing a bedsheet, anything she can to cover up and they bring her out and they throw her down at the feet of jesus and then they walk around and they start to pick up rocks and they said jesus the old testament law says that if somebody's caught in the act of adultery that they should be stoned to death they should die Because of their sin, look what's happened. And they stood there ready to stone her. And it says in John chapter eight that Jesus bent down and he began to write in the sand. And a lot of people have wondered, what did Jesus write? I think he started writing their sins. I think he started looking around at those men and he knows their heart. He starts writing affair. Jealousy. Envy. And then he straightens up. And he looks at them and he says, He who's without sin cast the first stone. Cause boy, it's easy for us to judge other people, isn't it? And you know what the Bible says? At that moment, rocks started to drop. And they began to walk away, the oldest to the youngest, because the oldest knows what's going on in here. And they all walked away. And Jesus reaches down, takes her hand, picks her up, He looks her in the eye and says, woman, where are they who condemn you? She's like, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't live this kind of life. I love you too much to let you go on like this. Go and sin no more. Guys, this morning on your worship guide, there is a piece of paper I want to ask you just to pull it off that paper clip. And this morning, I want to ask you, would you just confess, this is between you and the Lord, not anybody else. Maybe, maybe there's something that's you've never told anybody, but I want to tell you it has power over you And that guilt and that shame has consumed you. And every time you get serious about following God, Satan's like, well, you remember this? (laughs) it's because you've never handed it off. You've never given it to God. Maybe today it's something that, man, it's just keeps coming up. Keeps coming up in your life, and today you just go, God, I'm giving it to you. But this morning, I just wanna confess. Would you just write it down? Write down whatever it is. And then in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to fold it and to bring it to one of these stations. There's two stations over here, two stations over there. and, And just to come and to drop it in the water. You know, what's incredible? Don't miss this, guys. God's word says that he removes our sins as, our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. It's like our sins are dropped, it says, to the bottom of the sea. Can you imagine that? To the bottom of the sea. That God looks at you and when you are in Christ, he says, you are forgiven. Jesus died for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. This morning, would you just say, God, here it is. is? Gotta confess. Take it away. Take it away. Let it be gone. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna invite you to come and just give it to the Lord. Whatever it is in your heart, in your life, Confess and give it to him. So, Father God, here we are, your people. And Father, this morning, send the prophet Nathan. This morning, Father, send your Holy Spirit. This morning, Father, allow us to, from the ground, look up and put our hand in the hand of Jesus and just confess. Confess. Say, this is where I've struggled. This is where I've fallen. And maybe nobody knows. But God, you do. God, I pray this morning we would come clean. (laughs) Clean before you. That you would restore the joy of our salvation. That you would bring life back into our heart, back into our home. God, don't let sin Have control over us because you are greater and we find our value and our worth in you today. So we bring our sins to you. Cast them to the bottom of the sea. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we respond. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come. i still. an incredible promise, and what an awesome God. Guys, you're clean. By God's grace and His mercy and His love, you're clean. And now may we live like that, forgiven, redeemed, restored, made new. Do you realize that David, after this point, at the end of his life, he's called a man after God's heart. Even though he made huge mistakes, even though he messed up, he's called a man after God's heart. And God said, I'm going to take away the sin. You're not going to die. You are mine forever. May we live like that. May we live as God's people. May we live in the confidence and the grace of a God who sent his son to pay the price for our sins. And we are clean. You are clean. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our A6 guys that love to talk with you, love to pray with you, whatever's going on in your life. Listen, you're not alone. There's a God who knows and a God who cares. And you're a part of a body that wants to walk with you as we live our lives for the glory of God. This moment, I wanna invite our ushers to come forward and chance for us to give back.